yeah, having my head shoved into the uh, steps of the Ulster Bank in Ranelagh, cold butt of a gun put into the back of your skull. That's a moment where you go, okay, yeah, I think this one's up. How does a high-flying academic become one of Ireland's most prolific bank robbers? What I would see is the most important part of this still lies open. I'm not here to hurt you. A brand new series from the award-winning team behind the Indo Daily. That November day, that's where it all, all begins. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time imon irok the yen of chacht erachor. Agus suligam a makan sha gurfeder erachor inuik kiart len of winter fein. Skilti fis turmi. Tashe dochretche nach vetoch ara egornamian on kestchen ekol. Vien talam aginam griv arkar nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. This is an Irish independent podcast. We've known since at least 2016 that these digital platforms have understood that their algorithms are so problematic. Meta's own research in 2016 said that, you know, they said that 64% of all extremist groups are due to our recommendation tools. What has been the approach of Meta and other big tech companies to seek to present themselves as neutral actors that were misused by so-called bad actors? The evidence that we now have, which we've been able to glean from the Facebook papers, clearly shows that it played a very proactive role in promoting and amplifying specific kinds of content that specifically led to offline violence. Hello and you're welcome to The Big Tech Show. I'm Adrian Weckler. Meta has long been accused of exacerbating tensions in Myanmar to the cost of the ethnic Rohingya people. This has led, among other things, to a court case in Dublin by Rohingya nationals claiming reparations from Meta for years of suffering. But what exactly did Meta do or not do? And how much of what it is accused of comes from having to obey national rules as it would have to in any other country? Well, in this episode, I spoke to Mong Seydula, a member of, Roh- of the Rohingya community who lives in the world's biggest refugee camp in Bangladesh and who is taking Meta to court for what he claims is unfiltered spreading of hate. I also spoke to Amnesty International's Pat de Bruyne and the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, Olga Cronin. This is how our conversation went. I'm delighted to be here today to look through the uh, very important and relevant issue, particularly on the 75th anniversary of the UN uh, Declaration on Human Rights. And we're going to talk to um, a few people today, among them Pat de Bruyne from uh, Amnesty and Olga Cronin from the Irish uh, Council for Civil Liberties. But Really, the focus for the first 15 minutes is with a very special guest who is dialing in uh, today from the world's largest refugee camp, from the uh, world's biggest stateless community, and that's uh, Mong Seydula, um, who is a member of the Rohingya community 
and he is among uh, a number of people who is currently taking Meta to court. Seydoula, you're very welcome to this uh, broadcast, to this um, uh, and this podcast. We'll come to why you're taking Meta in particular to court in a moment. But first, as I said, you're dialing in today from the world's largest refugee camp, somewhere where you've lived for the past six years. Can you briefly remind us how did you get there and what caused you to flee your home in Myanmar? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much for having me here today. And thank you so much to all the participants for joining this uh, event today. So uh, to briefly share uh, about the situation that caused me to to be in this uh, stage today is uh, it's all because of simply being a Rohingya. So to just uh, elaborate a bit, like uh, what does it mean by simply being a Rohingya can cause like these issues. So uh, uh, when I born to my Rohingya parents in in Arakan in Myanmar, uh, I born in a in a society in, in a place where discriminations against Rohingya were already in place. The right to citizenships for the Rohingya were already banned. And the right to higher education were already banned for the Rohingya peoples. So uh, we can easily say, like, uh, I stayed and I grew up in a society, in a, in a, in a place where uh, there was a specific rule by law for the Rohingya, especially like it's separate regional law, specifically for the Rohingya people. So uh, the, the right to having uh, our life was restricted, especially there. So during that time, uh, I, I grew up in, in in that society, and I even didn't understand like the situation I, I have been going through is uh, uh, like a, a kind of human rights violations for me and for other people because that is how the 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 society and the policy of the country make people think like that. I personally um, like feel something like maybe this is the life. This is how the life is. Uh, I some kind of thing like that. So uh, when I say, uh, I, may may I stop you there for one second? Say, do like why were and why are the Rohingya people being discriminated against in Myanmar? Yes, uh, actually, like um, th- there might be various reasons. There might be different reasons of why uh, there is a discriminatory policy and discriminations against Rohingya in the country. It is simply because of the Rohingya, uh, I, uh, like Rohingya is a uh, separate groups. I mean, Rohingya are an ethnic groups there in Myanmar uh, who are not like other groups. And Rohingya have their own cultures. Rohingya have their, uh, like Rohingya uh, follows the Islamic religions, Islam religions. So Rohingya have their own traditions. So Rohingya are a groups in Myanmar. So those who create hate against Rohingya, I mean, those who hate Rohingya have their own reasons and like we uh, we can say it's like a kind of like uh, lots of racists are there in our country in Myanmar who made this for, against us because we are a group, we are a particular group of people in, in, in Myanmar. This resulted in you and your family effectively being run out of the country. Yes, it is about one million Rohingya who were forced to leave the country during uh, 2017. The extremist people planned very systematically to drive drive the Rohingya people from the country. As we speak, you you are in one of the world's biggest refugee camps and you can't leave that, correct? Yes. In in Bangladesh. Yes. So since 
2017, uh, most of the Rohingya people who left the country took shelter in the Cox's Bazar, uh, which is known as the world largest refugee camps. I usually used to say the situations in the camp can be compared like the hell on earth. You believe that Meta and Facebook in particular had a negative impact on the fate of the Rohingya people. What was it that Meta allowed or Facebook allowed to be posted and, and, and how did algorithms make it worse? Okay, thank you. So these are the like some very, uh, some very like extremist people who wanted to make this happen against the Rohingya people. So what they did was they exploited hate speeches against Rohingya people using Meta. I mean, on, 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 on Facebook. What were they posting? What, like what how were they doing this? yes like uh there were lots of uh, content on, on the facebook let me give you an example for example uh, in one of the posts that i personally saw on facebook was saying like if this uh bengali so they refer us like a bengali people from bangladesh like something is this the bengali are allowed to stay together with us in, in our country soon we will see our president with bear so they, they, they are saying something like if they allow us to stay in the country, then maybe uh, like we will take over the country, something like that. And also lots of mm. misinformations we are spreading in, in the country. Let me say, for example, uh, they, they, there was a big misinformation uh, they shared who, 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 who like created like uh, extreme hate in the mind of uh, Rakhine people, especially in Rakhine. So the post was saying something like... Uh, some Bengali people, referring to the Rohingya, some Bengali people raped uh, a Rakhine girls, a Rakhine girl, and killed. So it was uh, uh, like later we came to understand that it was false information. There were nothing happened like that mm. committed by the Rohingya people. So it was uh, like uh, a, like just a false information spread um, intentionally to create hate in the mind of people. And this was being spread on social media. Yeah, obviously on the Facebook. Especially so, when those kind of posts and contents uh, are spreading on social medias, like uh, I personally witnessed something like, for example, during uh, that time when the hateful contents against Rohingya were spreading on Facebook, Rohingya were not uh, allowed to use a smartphone, even a smartphone. So it was very rare Rohingya who were able to use a Facebook account. Even uh, like when I used a Facebook account, I had to hide my real identity on Facebook. I didn't able to put my real name on Facebook because if uh, the authorities see that I'm using a Facebook, then they will understand I'm using a smartphone. Then they will come to arrest me. They will come to punish me. So, so now you're part of a case being taken in Ireland against Meta, because Meta has its headquarters here, its international headquarters here in Dublin, uh, about these issues. What is that case seeking to do? Actually, like after when when we came to understood that the Meta also contributed their business to our suffering, then we tried to communicate with Meta. But in response, what we received from Meta is, uh, it says like the Meta is not, a, not an organization, not a group who support people like us something like that. Then we started uh, thinking like how we can deal in these issues. Uh, and that is when like we came to understand there are also possible ways to take legal case against matter. And that is when we came to understand uh, about the uh, like OECD, uh, OECD guidelines. Mm. And the case now we are taking is uh, according to the OECD guidelines in the Ireland. 
so that is when we decided to take uh, a, a case against Meta. And in the case, what we are expecting from the case is uh, first, number one is uh, Meta must make sure that this kind of violations, this kind of contribution to the human suffering never ever uh, take place again in the future. Because we, we understand the suffering, we understand the loss, we understand how it hurts. And another thing that we are focusing is Meta have to uh, pay remediations to the Rohingya people because we have lost, uh, we have lost even our lives because of uh, the thing. And I, I, I used to say that uh, now we are the victims of genocides. It must be very hard to try to put a figure when you mention reparations, to put a monetary figure on what you and your people have gone through. Do you have a figure in mind? Yeah. So what uh, remediation that we are asking from Matter is to do, uh, to to like to operate some educational programs in the camp so that we ourselves can try to rebuild our life because education is the only... So that's where you are now in, in Cox's Bazaar um, in, in Bangladesh. You, you were looking for Meta to support or to fund... Um, some infrastructure or some, as as you say, uh, education there. So we are not asking them billions. So we are only asking them millions. So Meter had to pay us millions uh, for our education purpose, for our education program. That is what we mm. are asking from Meta. Okay, Seydoula, let me come back to you in a few minutes, but I'm going to want to bring in Pat De Bruyne, who's the Deputy Director of Amnesty Tech and Head of Amnesty's Big Tech uh, Accountability Team. Pat, Amnesty did a fairly in-depth report on on Meta's role in what appeared to be ethnic cleansing in Myanmar. What what was the big issue there from Meta's perspective? Hi, Adrian, and thanks for having me. I'm glad to have an opportunity to dive a little bit deeper into what exactly Meta's contribution was to these horrific crimes and atrocities that were perpetrated against the Rohingya in 2017. I think it's important to to state that in, in the years leading up to 2017, Facebook really was the internet in Myanmar. It was the go-to news service, dating app. It was the social media site. It was everything. So Facebook quickly developed an incredible and unique monopoly over the internet market in Myanmar. Now, from that period, from about 2012 on to 2017, Facebook became awash with anti-Rohingya hatred and incitement to violence. But with Facebook, they could Mm. reach completely new audiences and spread those messages like yeah. never before. Can, can I jump in there? What of the argument that Meta and other big tech companies make that they operate within the environment of the country uh, in which they are present and that they follow the laws and the directions of those countries? How do we, how do we address that position? Thanks, Adrian. I mean, it really typifies what has been the approach of, of Meta and other big tech companies to seek to present themselves as neutral actors that were misused by so-called bad actors. The evidence that we now have, which we've been able to glean from the Facebook papers and from whistleblowers, clearly shows that Facebook was not a neutral actor in this unfolding of events. In fact, it played a very active, proactive role in promoting and amplifying specific kinds of content that specifically led to offline violence. Do you mean through algorithms or do you mean for through other more overt, proactive uh, actions? I'm speaking about the algorithmic system specifically that underpin Facebook. So the likes of the newsfeed, the ranking, the recommendation systems, these Mm. are not neutral. And and the evidence 
clearly shows from internal Facebook documents, as we've analyzed in our in our research, that they are hardwired, they're designed, and this is a conscious choice to design these algorithms in a specific way to amplify specific kinds of content, that content that is the most engaging content possible. And that's because this is what mm. is the most profitable outcome for Meta. Let me bring in at this point Olga Cronin, who's a senior policy officer at the Irish Council for Civil Liberties. Olga, algorithms, whether it's Meta or particularly TikTok, they say it's the algorithms that actually attract people to the social media platforms. How should we address that issue, in your opinion? Thanks, Adrian, for having me on. I think it should be said, put out at the beginning that, you know, we should really be deciding what we're reading and sharing and seeing when we go on social media. I don't think it should be um, fed to us by big tech. And that's exactly what algorithms do. Mm. That's exactly what these recommender systems do. Exactly like Pat said earlier, to maximize engagement, which then maximizes their profit. Um, There's no reason that we, there's no actual reason for us to have these systems. So can I just, just to go back to the, the question again. So once again, the virality, for example, of videos or of posts Mostly, it seems to be funny animal videos, cat videos, comic songs, that sort of stuff. Um, without those recommender systems and, and, and algorithms, wouldn't social media platforms be completely different? Well, yeah, I mean, I suppose the Internet was relatively horizontal um, you know, and decentralized in the 90s and the noughties. You had a hyperlink, people shared hyperlinks and you kind of, you know, traverse the Internet by going from link to link. Um, but all of that changed with these opaque algorithms, and they are dependent on streamlined surveillance. There's just no other way about it. They're dependent upon our data. They're dependent upon our behavior. And that's what started that fueling and that manufacturing of artificial amplification of that virality. And we're seeing we're seeing the consequences of that now. You know, we're kind of coming to it late. And I mean, the situation in Myanmar um, and how Saidu and what Saidula you know, explains there, like that is worlds apart from, let's say, what happened in Dublin on November 23rd, because I know, obviously, that's another part mm. of the discussion. So what's happened, they are worlds apart in terms of what happened. But what does thread them together is these this, these recommender systems. And the thing is, like, it's it, this isn't really, the issue isn't, it's neither new nor, you know, a, a secret. Like, we've known since at least 2016 that these digital platforms have understood that their algorithms are so problematic. Meta's own research in 2016 admitted, said that, you know, they said that 64% of all extremist groups um, are due to our recommendation tools, our tools, our systems are growing the problem. And, you know, I could list off others, but this is this is known, and this is why this is why, from ICCL's perspective, at least, you know, we are calling on the recommender systems to basically be turned off. We to be turned off. To completely. be turned off completely. Yeah, I mean, like the D- the Digital Services Act goes some way to this in terms because it basically says that people can opt out or they have a another recommender system based on maybe not on their based on their profile. Um, but we feel that we feel that a there's just no reason for them to be there. They should be turned off by default. By default, whereas because at the moment they're turned on by exactly. default, you can actually turn them off. I, I'm TikTok. I, I'll go back to TikTok again. You can actually completely mm-hmm. turn off uh, the algorithm if you want. But number one, it's on by default, and by then you're hooked. And number two, um, 
the number of people that go and do that and actually turn off the the algorithm is tiny. Exactly. And the thing is, is that like this is so important because there is a trend around the world where, you know, regulations are being passed to police the Internet. And Saidula just explained a situation that was terrifying there in terms of how certain regulations by certain um, governments in certain jurisdictions that can go very, very wrong. But a part of that issue as well is that regulations focused on taking down certain content and leaving certain content up in such a linguistically diverse world is really, really difficult. And we're swimming against the tide of that algorithm amplification. And really, if we're to take any step that will have an impact, I think we believe that this is it. And just finally, Olga, and just on that theme, taking into account all the points you've just made over the last few minutes, where does responsibility for moderation run up against freedom of expression? But we're now in an internet world. So how difficult a question is that in terms of the responsibility for moderation against freedom of expression? It's a really important question. And, you know, it's a question I think that we're going to have to continually ask ourselves, Adrian, because, yes, it's different in jurisdictions. It's very difficult to to come down on a black and white question, like a line and say, once you say this or, you know, it's very, very difficult. There's so many variables involved in how in making that decision. And it is exceptionally tricky. Because you see, that, that's what the tech companies say all the time. They, anytime they're asked about this, they say, well, we're allowed to allow this kind of statement here and not here. We, we're constantly having to treading, treading to tread this line. Now, I know we're questioning the good faith of the biggest of these companies uh, uh, in some of the points in the discussion we've had earlier on. But there probably is something to that in some countries. Yeah, there there would be. I mean, these are big tech American companies, American companies where they have immunity from any kind of kickback in the US because of legislation there and also mm. the First Amendment. But Article 19 have this very useful hate speech pyramid. And it, it kind of outlines what can be said and what can't be said. When it passes that threshold, when you are inciting someone to take action, to, to be violent, to kill someone. So there are things that can be said, but there are things that can't be said. And it is, but it is very, very difficult and it is very, very tricky. And going back to this idea or the the reality that we do live in this extremely diverse linguistic world. And because we have to have human rights at the center of all our regulations when it comes to this, to protect all our rights and our safety, that's why it's so important for us to kind of really look at the design of these systems and the process of these systems, Mm. because that is where the amplification... So with, with great power comes great responsibility and you can't just say that, you know, legislators must give us, a, you know, a 10,000 page document on every single rule. If you're the one who's controlling, who is the gatekeeper to all this speech, you actually have yeah. greater responsibility uh, to moderate. Now, let me bring in some of the other speakers. Saidula, do you feel that you and your people have been forgotten? Yes, uh, actually, yeah, it is true. I, I not only myself. There are also many peoples uh, who who are feeling like that. Uh, and you know, it's already more than six years that we have been suffering our life here like hell in the in the refugee camps, and that is making uh, people uh, like um, like people feels that everyone forget us, and people are losing uh, their hopes and and futures and 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 also dreams. That is the reason now. We can hear like uh, we are seeing uh, many of the Rohingya people are leaving uh, the camp through dangerous sea sea routes, even uh, to in search of a, 
a, a good future in search of of the dream they have for example and uh like th th there are not only this case uh, against meta there are also other cases that we are having uh, against the perpetrators uh, especially meta is the tool that perpetrator use and uh, because of that tool has been used the tool owner resource there are also direct perpetrators in myanmar so we are also having cases legal cases against those perpetrators uh, especially in in the wall courts they could in uh, i mean the icc international criminal court and international court of justice so we are also having uh, cases there but it's taking a very long time and it make us feel like uh, the the international justice mechanisms is doing very less for us and that was me talking to mong sedula pat de brun and olga cronen thanks to jj clark who produced this episode and to gavin hennessy on sound for me adrian weckler We'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in mon Eirochti a yen of Chacht Erechor. Agus Suligam a Machan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, in Uik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochrecha nach Vetok Ara Igornamyan on Kestin Echo. Vien Talam Aginom Griv Orkar Nrachtum, Yatakshatarin Griven Orkarston, Elis Duhalagis Kiminafracht, Gora Kligsar Dukashenecher, only Ven Aun, Dardarakshin, Ven Marav. Shachtan. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. <laughs>